When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, well, while this podcast has been on a little bit of a hiatus, that's H-I-A-T-U-S, that doesn't mean that my intake of Athletic Greens has been on any kind of a hiatus because that just wouldn't be me being good to myself. Um, So so even during this time, Julie uh, Buck Brooks, my sister who does uh, all my office stuff, you can attest to the fact that these these pouches still arrive and uh and and i still go through them daily takes them all the time i open the mail i open them i put them on his desk or on his dresser imagine if we had athletic greens in 1981 we wouldn't have had to go to fat camp we would have been healthy people that's right you know why because it's 75 high quality vitamins minerals whole food source superfoods probiotics aptogens i mean back in 81 Nobody was talking about aptogens, and now no. everybody's talking about aptogens. So, uh, hey, you do yourself a favor and you jump right into it. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do, visit athleticgreens.com slash daddyissues. Again, athleticgreens.com slash daddyissues. If you've ever thought, you know, maybe these guys, I'm tired of, of them talking about it, but damn, it sounds interesting. Now's the time. Athleticgreens.com slash daddy issues and do yourself a favor. Get gut health, huh? Who doesn't want that? Go get them. Cavalry Audio. just don't know anybody in 2022 that can't get on a zoom call is that me am i that am i the one person yeah i now i'm just glad to know somebody that in 2022 after a pandemic can't get on a zoom call i zoom all the time i promise i was just going to try to incorporate my headphones and really give you the the vibe that i work in radio so I was going to attach it to my iPad, and that didn't work. So yeah, then- however, you realize I work with Oliver, who is basically naked and on his iPhone with no cell service, and I'm just left to do a Max Headroom interview with him while he uh, dips in and out, freezes, and does everything else and puts his hair behind his ears. Here's one thing I want to say about Oliver, because we're back uh, doing a podcast basically out of guilt. So you're all welcome. Uh, Just kidding about that. Uh, I was on a call with Oliver today for matters uh, that don't really pertain to this podcast, and he was about to do a shirtless scene in uh, The Cleaning Lady, and he was freaking out. He's like, I've got gray chest hair, which I've never noticed that I've had speaking as Oliver and B he's like, I feel like I'm gaining weight. It's like, it is just not pretty. So 
Oliver, our friend, is going to be shirtless on network television uh, in the upcoming season of The Cleaning Lady on Fox. Right on your TV. How about that? I know a lot of women that will go nuts over that. And and I think they'll they'll fix it in post. Isn't that what they say in TV if there's any issue? Would, I mean, well, then I need posts to follow me around, go to the pool, <laughs> go to the beach in Cabo. I need oh whoever gosh. post is if to airbrush me live. Post, I would love it. I would absolutely go yes. crazy. Tighten up the buttocks. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's, you know, he, he's a little bit of a drama king when it comes to this stuff, and I'm sure he'll be fine. But, you know, he's a lot of years removed from whatever that show is that's on some odd direct TV channel at weird times of the night, the Margo, what was the the thing he was on? Do you know what he was Austin's on? Austin's Creek or whatever. Isn't that no. one of those? No. no, no, no. Okay. You know, Margo hop in. What was the show he was on? That was on for uh, rules of engagement. I thought oh, of it. Ru- oh yeah. I love that show. Yeah. Rules of engagement. So there you go. Uh, but that's a long time ago. So now here he is. I, I think I saw him shirtless on that once. Well, you've seen him shirtless in Cabo. I've seen him shirtless. Look, I should never be shirtless. I've joked on this podcast that I shower with my shirt on if anybody else is in the house at the off chance that they walk into the bathroom. But Oliver is really comfortable with being shirtless and basically naked walking around our place in Cabo, uh, dropping odd hairs uh, around the kitchen area. But for some reason, he just doesn't care. However, I'm bringing all this up because he actually cared today. This is the first time he's actually had some sort of feeling of being Fear. less than. Yeah, and being self-conscious. Welcome being to self-conscious, yes, that's what I'm getting at. I've yeah, lived should... in a constant oh. state of being self-conscious, as have I'm, you. I'm, I'm here now. That's that's where I'm residing. You're in. You reside in self-conscious land. Yeah. Oh my. Well, you know that. Yeah. I know. But okay. So here we are. It, we we have not done a podcast for a couple of weeks. Margo and Josh have been kind enough to step in and do a little recap and a, a preamble, as we used to call them, and uh, roll old episodes of Daddy Issues. Here we are, recording on the 10th of August. 2022, and I have recruited my sister, Julie Buck Brooks, who is a red-hot radio personality in St. Louis, Missouri, uh, (laughs) to join me, much like I had Natalie, my daughter, join me when Oliver was doing whatever Oliver was doing the last time he couldn't show up. So now I've got Julie. I'm running out of family members. Dad's dead. Mom is incapable. Had to bring that up, and that too. Uh, I have Trudy. I have Michelle, but she's put herself in the penalty box uh, for this podcast because of a past appearance when we had Aaron on too. I think we're going to rectify that on his other podcast. But I'm talking throughout this whole thing because I'm going to interview you, Julie. I'm going to... I'm going to interview you about you, about us, about our family history, and maybe, just maybe, on this episode of Daddy Issues, as I talk to my, can I say your age? I mean, I don't care. Just, just nobody ask me if Joe's older or younger than me. That's all I ask. 
because well, he's you're old. Three, I'll just say this. You're three years younger than me. I'm 50. I don't care. Say it. This is about, that My 50-year-old sister and mother of three boys who are all in college, all thriving and making the family proud day after day. But now here we are, ready to talk about Joe and Julie Buck. Should I lay down? I feel like this is going to be a major therapy sesh or get out the Kleenex. I mean, what what roads are we going to go down? I have I just just like I do with Oliver, I have prepared absolutely nothing uh, for we this like- podcast. So we're going to see where it takes us. This is uh, this is okay. like Magellan crossing right. an unnamed ocean. I mean, I do this for a living. I do a radio talk show, so a lot of my inner secrets are no longer. I mean, I just let it all hang out, so to speak, which is not really a good way to say that. But I mean, I'm down. Just if if you go too far, I'll let you know. Okay. I'll start off with something easy. How does it feel to know that I am both mom and dad's favorite child? Oh, I, I came to the conclusion a long time ago that it's, I'm good with it because you were mean to me as a kid. We fought a lot as children, but we get along really great now, which is, I I don't know why or how that happened. We're so close now, but it's for sure the truth because if you walk into our mom's room and by the way, our mom lives at my house, lives with me. She has literally, and I, I am not kidding, poster size, cardboard cutouts of Joe just by himself. One with Joe, just a cigar by our bathtub one of Joe and his kids, and then another couple of Joe. I've walked by him so many times. They're huge. And for me, I was in the local little newspaper with a two-by-two-inch photo. She cut it out. Maybe ripped it out. Didn't even get out the scissors. A two-inch by, two by the by the bathroom mirror. And that's all I got. I mean, it's obvious that you're the favorite. And I'm, I'm okay with it because you're, this sounds really cheesy, but you have been so good to me and you're such a wonderful brother that I get it. I mean, you are kind of the golden child, dare I say it. <laughs> yeah. Well, we could go there. Is that what <laughs> we the, could go there but we is that what our was what our six half brothers and sisters all call me? I think so. That that slipped out on Facebook in a late night tirade that was later taken down by one of them. But yeah, I the think the fact that's- that you know that. So we've talked about this ad nauseum on this podcast. I'm sick of my own story because of this podcast. Uh I'm not complaining, but my story is my story. It doesn't change. Uh I burst into the world as a surprise to Carol uh Linsnick at the time and uh Jack Buck back in April of 1969, or at some point, I was a surprise prior to April 25th of 1969. So here I am uh, bursting into the world, and that forced a change in our dad's life, which meant that he was, you know, he had a decision to make. And the decision turned out to be he was going to marry my mom, and they were going to raise me. And he, at the time, was married with six kids, and I would say the exit was not handled perfectly well, to be nice. And uh, and then three years later, Julie is born, and uh, let's just say the, the six half-brothers and half-sisters, two brothers, uh, right? Am I doing that right? Two brothers and four yeah. sisters? Dad, Dad used to say he had, the, he had eight kids, 
and they were all boys except for five. Right. I have eight kids. They're all boys <laughs> except five. <laughs> That's right on. And then people would clap and would go, don't don't yeah. applaud. Okay. Don't applaud. Yeah. I've totaled it up. I figured for me, it took a combined 40 minutes, and that's with conversation. Oh, my God. Did, yeah. you, did you ever hear him say that one? Yeah. Oh, God, I knew what you were going to say. And, I mean, he would have been just flat out canceled today for that, I think. Oh, there's so many things that I, I wouldn't even go. It makes me sweat even thinking about some of the things that he said at banquets in mixed company that just are unbelievable that I can't imagine coming out of anybody's mouth in any era, but everybody was like, oh, my God, that's hilarious. And, and the butts of the jokes were like, <laughs> and it was not good when I think of it. I, I, I thought of one the other day that I'm going to tell you after we hang up on this that I don't know that you've ever heard, but if you've heard it, you've forgotten it, and it is mind-blowing, one of the jokes. Uh. Anyway. Uh, so anyway, I come along and, and I force this big change and then Julie comes along and you're right. For some reason, for the first X number of years of our lives, we fought a lot. And I don't know if that's because dad was gone a lot. I don't know if that's because I, I don't know. It's impossible to go back and try to recreate, although you remember everything. I remember nothing to try to recreate why that was the case or what the mood was in the house. I think, generally speaking, we both look back on our childhood and think it was great, right? For the I most mean, part? I think for the most part, it was great. I mean, it was fantasy land in a lot of ways. We were always shielded from any actual problems. Like, no one ever told us any actual problems. Our biggest problem was... Dun, 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 wait. Our weight. <laughs> yes. And that is why we were shipped to fat camp uh, at one point in our childhood. What which is year was that? I would say like 81. Ooh. Yeah. Because I went to Canacuck for right. two years. I think it was 10 and 11. And then it was 12, which would make 1981. You're right. Because we lived at Williamsburg. Yeah, I remember that. Yes. it was. I would say 1981. And we went away. We drove. They drove us from Missouri to Massachusetts. Mom right. and grandma. Like we were picked up by people in white coats. Mom and grandma drove like us in a station wagon. With wood paneling. With wood paneling from St. Louis, Missouri to the Berkshire Mountains in Massachusetts to a quote unquote. I mean, it, it's not what they build it as, but it was a fat camp. You showed up there and for, I don't know how long we were there, three weeks, four weeks, uh, three a year solid. and a half. Three solids, and it was, it. I mean, there were so many subplots happening. I they sent they me with starved you. Uh, they starved you. They sent me with Miss Piggy stationery, and I always read into that, and that was always upsetting. Who sent me. you with Miss Piggy stationery? Mom and Grandma. I don't think they meant anything by it as an adult, but as a kid, I was like sitting there at Fat Camp, going, "Why am I writing home from Fat Camp on note cards with a pig?" Mm. Hello, mommy. <laughs> Hello. I lost I mean, two pounds today. Hmm, I think I lost literally 14 pounds week one. And no one in the history of the camp had ever used the payphone until they met me. I worked these people over time until they I got a hold of the phone. I was like, I have to come home. I cannot do this. I cannot be away from home this Well, long. the funniest I thing, I had been two years 
to this camp in Missouri near Hannibal called uh, Canacuck. Christian camp. It was a Christian camp, which was, I'm not even going to go down that path, but some of the things that they scared the shit out of us with uh, as kids. But anyway, about the world ending and blah, blah, blah. Uh, So I did that for two years. Absolutely miserable. Hated every second of it. Couldn't have been more homesick. Lived in a wood cabin, slept in bunk beds, showed up there with my steamer trunk that we all had to come there with, laid on my bed, was so out of sorts. Uh, the the toilets in the bathroom were uh, like the toilet where you would sit down uh, to go to the bathroom had no stalls, so they're just out in the open. And because of that, somehow my central nervous system overrode my bodily function system, and I didn't have to sit down for damn near three weeks, Ew, which God. seems impossible. But it was, it was either that or the woods. It can't be good for the septic tank. No. Oh, yeah, my septic tank. So <laughs> then the next year we go, Julie and I are ballooning up to some sort of odd well, weight. Enough. Every night. My God, I mean. Our diet was so bad. So as bad. kids. And and I don't we don't we look back on it like would it have killed them to give us a salad every once in a while that didn't have <laughs> right. nine we, gallons of poppy seed dressing on top and of it? If you were hungry at night, you were at the ballpark. So it was like, you know, have a hot dog before you go to bed. I mean, why weren't we obese? I mean, I don't we would have stuff from the bakery mom would get in the morning, and that's how we would kick off the day. I mean, the fact that the two of us are mobile at this point in our 50s is probably really good news. <laughs> right, right. So that's that's true. So we're driving up to uh, this place. And the the name of it is Kingsmont. Like, You're going to hate this. You're going to hate this. I kept saying that to you. You're like, ah, it's not going to be a big deal. And we had to I'm stop like, every 20 minutes because you had to go to the bathroom on the drive up to Massachusetts. And I'm like, oh, my God. And I said, you're going to hate it. And I had already talked because I had two summers worth at Canacuck of being unbelievably homesick. And I knew what I what was in store for me. It was like I was shipping off to Qatar at every time I left. And I I, I ended up talking to the this guy, Doc Appleton, who who created this like this weird, <laughs> I don't know. We're probably going to get sued by King. I don't know what, uh, yeah. But I don't care. I was there. I'm living my truth right now. I, he, this, it's like, it was like David Miscavige or whatever his name is. It started Scientology. This old man was a million years old. And they're like, Oh, doc Appleton's unbelievable with kids who are homesick. I got on the phone with him before <laughs> we went up there. Hello. And I, pro- it was like, like weekend attorneys, like they propped him up in a chair. To, like, I visited him one time in this weird house up on the hill at that place. That I, I was committed. there every day. Oh, you were? You and remember that's where that? I got to. Yes, I had like a weird porch, and yeah. that's where I. That's where I got the. He's like, no one in the history of the camp has ever been allowed to use the payphone, and I'm like, well, today, Doc Appleton, I would really like to make it happen. So you, like, you were nine, and <laughs> this guy was supposed to help me with my homesickness, and I, I couldn't even – we had no conversation at all. 
And it ended up being okay for me because I was in the section of the camp that was like, eh, this kid could be here, this kid could not. It was the mini slim boys cabin. <laughs> you were like in the hot guys cabin for the fatties. I mean, are we allowed to say that? Well, we were there. I mean, we were two of them. That's that's what it was. I mean, you were like in the, there was a guy named Jay that was like really good looking and would be like drop dead movie star if he lost a bunch of weight. And you were like in that, that was like the first. You looked like a little heavier David Schwimmer. Right. You were a cool kid, I think, maybe for the first time in your life. I mean, you had to change the audience a little bit, but. <laughs> I did. All of a sudden it was so. like, look at me. Talking about walking around with your shirt off. I was like, like Tarzan walking around like, hey, look at me. Dude, I'm... Two stretch marks. These right. guys. Are... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm a B cup. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back after this short break with more Daddy Issues. Uh, anyway, so we go to this camp, we're driving up there. I'm like, just wait, you're going to hate it. And, uh, I was prepared cause I knew I was going to hate it. And, uh, you know, I, day one, you're like, okay, bye mom, bye grandma. And within an hour you were cooked, you were done. You wanted to go home. I was searching for you. I was like, please, I just need to see you. I just need to talk to you, please. I was, I was. I think I was literally scarred. I mean, I have to now pull out my I'm an adult card and use it and say, well, so what? It probably taught me a lot of things in a lot of ways, but it was weird. I mean, when I look back as now from a view of being a mom, like that was something they did then. Now they call it fitness camp and health camp. And it's about making your life better. They would never have the junior slims or whatever it was mini slim like the mini slims or whatever like categorize you by your weight it was it was but you're right it it was traumatizing to the point where i it doesn't really ever leave you that you were shipped off as opposed to your friends who were doing whatever they were doing in the summer and all of a sudden you're going and then dad visited us took us Tell into town Calamari took us oh my to god to mhm and I got chocolate, chocolate chip. I didn't even like chocolate or chocolate chip, but I was like, what is the f most fattening thing I can eat? Because I haven't eaten anything in two weeks. He was up there doing a Patriots game. I took my mini Slim Boy cabin. Dad got tickets through Mike Torres, a former Cardinal and then Boston Red Sox pitcher. Uh, our, our cabin got to go to Fenway Park. Which I didn't get to go. Nobody told me. Mom told me, don't upset your father. When he comes there, don't make him feel bad. I had my bag packed. I was, forget the chocolate, chocolate chip. I just wanted to get out of there. I was going to climb in a suitcase, but I had promised her that if he came there and made the point of coming there, that I would, you know, cooperate. Yeah. Well, he came home evidently and told our mom that Julie and I were going to sue them uh, for, <laughs> for dropping us off at this place. But it was crazy intense in some ways and uh yeah we got to go to fenway park on a day when a foul ball hit a kid right over the red sox dugout and jim rice who was playing for the boston red sox it's a famous picture in the boston globe or the boston herald came out of the dugout 
were off the on-deck circle and ran into the seats and picked up this little girl. I think it was a girl, a little girl, and carried her down into the dugout and into the medical room in the uh, Red Sox clubhouse. So even was that was okay? traumatic. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what happened to her. But, yeah, that huh. picture exists on the cover of at least the sports, if not the main paper in Boston from 1981. Anyway, you and I fought for whatever reason for the longest time, and then I don't know when that changed. When I went to college, when I was in high school, I, I never you came to visit stuff. you at college. I remember being on the phone with you when I was away at college, and and you would we would talk on the phone then. And then you know when I think when Natalie was born, I feel like that was kind of a time to bridge the gap. And then Trudy, and then. We had a little freeze out going on, and then, and then we kind of got everything back together. But I, I mean, I think overall, I think we have this underlying thing that no matter what, we would be there, or at least I feel like this. No matter what went down, we would be there for the other person. We have that deep. No one else knows what our life was. Where you're the only other human being on the planet that can relate to so many things that went on. And that's not just for us, but that's for anybody that has a sibling. I mean, there's a lot there, a lot of connections, a lot of memories. Yeah. And, and I think the, the perception would be from the outside. And I think this is true. I mean, I, I would categorize us growing up as upper middle class. Like I, I think the perception would be, Oh, their dad's a hall of fame announcer. and, And I'm not, so we didn't, need real we didn't need for anything but we were not like old money rolling in it yeah none of that and and you know dad was pretty strapped most of the time with uh the money he was making the money that was coming in the money that was going out and uh for a lot of the reasons we said did we no but but that was gonna that was actually gonna be my point when you said we were shielded from anything that was going wrong. I think that's the role of good parents. It wasn't thrown in our face if anything was going wrong. And I think that you only know what you know. You only know that's all we knew. That's how we grew up. We didn't know if that was we didn't know if it was normal. We didn't know if it was abnormal. We didn't and and we're not really filling in a lot of blanks because a lot of it's not totally fair, uh, because not everybody's on this Zoom call at the moment. But you know, you don't know what you don't know. So we thought everything was perfect. And then you look back and you're like, I don't know, that was kind of odd or this happened. And now as adults, it's like, eh, that wouldn't happen in my life. We didn't see him for two weeks. Like what was going on? I mean, I don't know. But, and also with the, with the fat camp thing, I just want to say this in defense of our parents, specifically our mother and our grandmother, who were probably the catalysts and scraping up the money to send us to this camp. On the other side of that, you had two kids that were I'm pretty heavy and we were being teased and it was interfering with sports and social things. And so now as a parent, as awful as that was, I can look back since the show is called Daddy Issues and say I kind of understand where they were coming from. I think at the time that they were trying to you know, do us a solid, help us out. And I just think you know, they didn't know how because yeah, and they didn't know what to do. Whether I mean, they, it was they, cooking yeah. or 
grocery shopping or late night eating or whatever it was. And this, we're not going to turn this whole podcast into talking about this stuff. But I, I just, yeah, I don't think we, we also at that time lived next to an endocrinologist. Remember the doctor that was yes. right next door? And yes. I, I actually think, now that I think about this, it was his idea for us to go to this place. And I, I, I can't imagine mom, you know, searching in an encyclopedia or whatever was around back then. It wasn't the internet to find out where she could send her two heavy set kids that were shopping in the Husky section. That was, that was from the doctor magazine. (laughs) Yeah, that was, that was back in, that was the doctor's idea, I think, which, you know, that, I just think that's how that came to be, but you're right. I mean, I, I, I've also, this is called daddy issues. And I do feel like you mentioned Natalie and Trudy, my two girls, and now Blake and Wyatt, the two boys, you could not have given more of yourself to my kids than you have. Like they know that they have somebody in you that they can rely on if, you know, anything were to happen to me or whatever, you would be their first call. You are their first call, even though I am here a lot of the time, because, you know, I just pulled open my drawer before we came on here and it's your writing. You basically run my finances in my, if, if you go down, I have no idea what's coming in and out of this office. You could guess in. the passwords. I'm pretty sure. I, I think you could probably figure it all yeah, out. Yeah. You got that weird one that I, I don't <laughs> get that one that uh, you've always tell it to me. I'm like, what the hell is that? Yeah. I, I'm not even going to say what it is because it would be easy to figure out too easy probably. But I will say that you, your kids, I, since I have three sons. So for me, with the two girls, those are, that's as close as I'm going to get to ever having a daughter. And so that in my life has worked out beautifully for me. I kind of have the best of all worlds. And I also have twins that are 22. And now Joe has these four-year-old twin boys that have just been like a bridge and just, I don't know, it sounds cheesy, but like a literally uh, this burst of joy and a rainbow in our family. Just, I mean, it's a lot of work with two little boys, man, they are, they are so much fun. And it's like getting back to go and live this. I think they think I'm their grandma. I took them to target the other day. And I said, do you think people think I'm your grandma? And they're like, no, Juji, that's what they call me. But I'm like, I think they probably do, but that's okay. We have such a great time. You've got four awesome kids. I've got three amazing sons and we're just blessed. And you do a lot for my kids too. So, you know, I mean, there's a give and take there. And I think we both appreciate it, appreciate each other a lot. Yes. So we, yeah, I agree. We came out of this, uh, at times odd situation, but, and, and we grew up and live in a smallish town that idolized our dad. And it was at times, I mean, it was it was a wonderful life being able to grow up, especially for me at Bush Stadium and be around players' kids, be around players, shag fly balls before games, be the bat boy, be, you know, just be on the Cardinal Charter to learn what I, that's the reason I'm doing what I'm doing is because I had a master's class. So true. Yeah. And broadcasting through dad. And thank God dad was the kind of person who wanted to take me and us on road trips and, 
you know, learn what it's like to get out of St. Louis and learn what it's like to navigate an airport and whatever it might be, little things that you learn. I mean, I, I grew up fast and I, I was always around adults when I was a little kid. So I grew up, I, I never was like a little goofy kid. I was always pretty willing to stuff that down and I knew if I was going to be around dad or I was going to go on road trips, I had to act like a, like older than I was, or I wasn't going to get to go because he wouldn't put up with it. In a way that's kind of sad to me because, and, and it all turns out great and look at us now and life is wonderful. We, we couldn't, we can't complain. So this is not a woe is me, but there's a little part of me that feels badly for you because I feel like because dad was older and because dad was gone so much that a lot of burden was put on you not like to go milk the cows or whatever get the get the eggs out of the hen house or whatever nothing like that not like you know little house on the prairie but more so like mom would say since dad would be out of town because I was the unruly one not Joe was perfect we know that but she would say if you don't do this homework right now I'm gonna tell Joe and I would be like <gasps> I mean there was this like fear of that you were this person that I always wanted to please, even though you're only three years, yes, older than I am, I, you were like my authority figure and you still in a way are like a, a brother, but a father figure, like it or not. I mean, you are my sounding board for a lot of things. And Because it was a different time and it's hard to realize now with cell phones, FaceTime, everything else that we all... Now, I travel a lot, certainly a lot less now than I used to, but my girls, I don't think, ever felt like I was not there for large chunks of time. Maybe October was a bad month, but <clears throat> I was always around and made sure to check in and made sure if it, if it had you become... You effort to do that. I mean, that's also the difference. Yeah. You know? No, I mean, that was my number one priority was the girls. And and now it'll be the girls and the boys that, that are here. And I... You know, if I get in late from a road trip and they got to get up for school, I'm going to drag my ass out of bed and make sure that they see my face. And and that was always very important to me. And but but this was a time where Dad was doing day to day Cardinal baseball. Then football and baseball would collide. He would leave and do Monday night football on the radio. He would do some Sunday TV in the NFL while he was doing Cardinal baseball. Um, which would start like right about now, September, October at times if the Cardinals made the postseason, or he would do CBS National Radio postseason games. He was doing a radio morning program show uh, here in St. Louis. So there were times where he would be gone for two weeks, and there was no, hey, uh, let's call Dad on his cell phone and get him off the golf course or call him before he does the broadcast. The only time he really called home was when he was in the Camo X radio booth because they had free phone lines. Yeah, it, free long distance. To call long distance. And yeah. and so we didn't see our dad for and again, not complaining, it is what it was. We didn't see our dad. I hate that we have to always disclaim that, but I whatever. Um, that should be baked in, but by now on this podcast. But we there were large chunks of time where we didn't see dad. So somebody had to be you know, not the, I guess, a father figure in essence at home. And if I was that for you, I was not aware that mom would threaten, like telling you, telling oh me God, that you didn't does. do your homework or whatever. <laughs> That's absurd. I was 
12 and you were nine and like you were uh, yeah. going to get punished by me? Yeah, I was afraid. I wanted you to like me. I wanted you to think I was cool. I wanted you to, I don't know. I, I, I didn't want you to be disappointed in me. Wow. Are we I, having I, a, huh? Are we having a moment? I guess not. <laughs> I said, are we having a moment? No, I mean, I always just I didn't I didn't ever really understand the extent of of that. But mom leaned on me to I, I do know that. And I, I do know that there were times where you were a little bit, let's say, more difficult than I was as a kid. And I yeah, you no, uh, Yeah, I was. But not, they make it like I was, but it wasn't like I was strung out on drugs somewhere. I was in trouble for being late to school by 30 seconds or talking in class. I mean, or playing a, a terribly thought out prank on a teacher or something along those lines. I wasn't looking like, for attention, just looking yeah, for your looking own. For right. And I would, that's what I was doing. I wasn't like, you know, sleeping with people or doing anything that I, I was when you really look at it, I now from an adult point of view, as I was the bad one, I mean, I really. No, I it like was all like party. threatening was, to run away and then run yeah. away for an hour <laughs> yeah. and then you're back as we, yeah. we, we were too hungry. <laughs> I mean, right. you weren't going to run away. We had to eat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, come on. How, how long and how far could you go? I we had couldn't. no money in our pockets and uh, had no. We had no real chores to speak of. We had no allowance. No. We just kind of were Floated there. Along. Yeah. <laughs> we were just kind of at the ballpark, and you were with Dad, and I was in the basement of the stadium babysitting players' kids and hanging out with the family. So we, I think we have a different perspective from that standpoint, and that's why I wanted to go with him on road trips. I didn't really care that much about the baseball aspect of it. Yeah, you just wanted to be by the players, <clears throat> excuse me, the players' wives and their kids because you, I mean, I, I don't profess to know what went on in the family comma room in the ballpark, but you were basically the babysitter or the watcher for all these little kids that were running around while mom was up in the seats and dad was playing in the game. Yeah. Meaning their dad. That was my childhood, but that's what, that's kind of where I hung my hat as a kid. And, you know, I guess they would say that, you know, I was an old soul, which I think is just a code for maybe a weird kid. No, I, no, kind of. old soul but means I, mature beyond your years. Not a, we were not a weird kid. I was weird in the sense that I wasn't your typical kid. I mean, most kids wanted to be out like partying with their friends. I wanted to be babysitting at the ballpark. That was my, that was my jam. It's weird, but it's, it worked. And I'm lifelong friends with those people still today. So. Yeah. But they also trusted you with their kids and they also, you were, you were always a trustworthy kid. So I, I don't know. It was, it was an ideal childhood in many ways. And you know, I don't know. We're spinning our wheels on this, but I, now you know you're you're in the media, and I and what I was thinking of today when I had you on, when I knew I was going to have you on, was I know what it's like to be Jack Buck's son and follow him into these booths across America and to do baseball and football and all these different sports and be compared to a Hall of Fame announcer, and now you have 
another layer because in the town we live in, you're Jack Buck's daughter, you're Joe Buck's sister. Natalie has that, who's, you know, going to act and is acting. And, you know, she, oh, that guy on TV, that's his daughter. And, you know, for people old enough, that's Jack Buck's granddaughter, whatever it might be. But in this small town, I would imagine that gets a little tiring. You know what? I could say that that it does because in some ways it does. But at the end of the day, if you weigh it all out for me personally, I there's so many good things that have come out of that for myself, my kids, our mom, your kids, and really the, the place where we live, which is St. Louis, Missouri, that I, I can't, I mean, I could pull negative things out of it if I wanted to, but I, I choose to just say, oh my gosh, this is like, this is, it makes me feel good to be able to pop into our local drugstore over to the companion sandwich shop and have 25 people say hello in, in two minutes. Now for you, it's different. Not everybody recognizes me. I'm on the radio. I'm in St. Louis, Missouri. You go anywhere and you really can't be as anonymous as I am. So I can kind of take that card out of the deck as much as I want to, so to speak, reveal as much as I want to in a lot of cases where people know you and they know what you look like. Does that make sense? Yeah. But I mean, do you struggle with the idea that the only reason you're on radio oh, with, yes. with the self-doubt uh, stuff, just like me, oh, the only reason you're doing this is because you're Jack Buck's son. The only, the only reason why you're doing this is because you're Jack Buck's daughter. Like, do you deal with that? Is that the voice inside your head? Yeah. Of course it is. I mean, I would be lying if I said that wasn't there. I mean, we have a text line at the radio station on the Carney show, the Big 550 KTRS, where um, we get texts from listeners and they will sometimes say stuff like that. I mean, I have one guy that texts in all the time and he calls me Julia. My name's Julie. And, he, and he's like, you're so braggy. Look, I was talking about the kind of apples that I like, that I like honey crisp apples. And he's like, sure, only you, you would be able to afford those fancy apples. I'm like, oh my God, I can't even talk about what kind of apples I like without being criticized. So that's there. And then there's that little piece of, you know, even, you know, coworkers or even sometimes people that you work for want to put that little thing in there. But I've, I've been on the radio for, since I was in my early twenties and it is what it is. You know, I mean, I, I do the best I can. I, I, I still do it. And I'll do it as, as long as it works out. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back after this short break with more Daddy Issues. But I don't think you realize how good you are. I remember being with Dad and you were on Y98, I think, and we were listening to you and he's like, she's really good. And oh my God, that blows my mind. What? That he, I don't know, that he would say that. Like, well, we've both, or you haven't, but I've, I talked about it with Oliver. We talked to this medium who can definitely speak to the dead and has had many multiple conversations with our dad. Um, and I, and that's the message that keeps coming through from him of woulda, coulda, shoulda. Like, I wish I had said more while I was, alive about how proud I am of you. And I would assume because, you know, if you believe in any of this stuff and, and I'm on the fence about a lot of it, uh, but 
he said, take care of you, meaning Julie. And I would imagine that if you did it, he, you would hear the same message. And whether it's true or not, I do feel like he felt he would, if you could talk to him now, he would say, I should have said more about how proud I was because he was, he just removed himself from it. He didn't, he, because, and, and it was, overall, it was a positive because he wasn't on my neck like, hey, good job on the home run call, but you should have called the ground ball to shortstop differently. He, he just was like, hey, I could, my name could have been Joe Johnson and it wouldn't have mattered. He wasn't like, hey, let me tell you how to do this. You screwed this up. That was good. This was bad. This was, so that was a great gift that he gave me because I don't know. I might have resented it and been like, oh, well, screw you. I'm not doing this because I can't take the criticism from a Hall of Fame announcer as I'm just getting going. So he really just kind of, you know, he would brag to all of his friends and umpires and other players that I was doing what I was doing, but he never said it to me. And I, but I'm telling you that he said that to you about you. I sat, sat in the living room with him when you were calling your first world series and he would, he got up and he stood in front of, remember that big console TV we had with the wood all around it. And during your, during your call at the end of the world series and he had his arms crossed and his toothpick in his mouth and just tears were streaming down his face. It was one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. I'll never forget that moment. I mean, he, he was so proud of you and where he didn't call and, run to the phone and and gush over it that no i mean that's my story that's i called home after that 96 world series which was my first i was 27 and doing it in the bronx and yankees and braves and i was doing a recap into the camera and we get off the air after the end of game six which was the last game of the series and i called and he answered and you know i said uh well what'd you think and he's like what times it come on like he didn't watch it and then he said, it was great, Buck. And then he handed the phone to mom. And because he she, couldn't talk. Right. So then she, she, you know, oh, my God, that was so good. Was, so we're so happy. And that was unbelievable. You did that. And you called your first World Series. And then the next day I talked to mom and she said he couldn't. He was crying so hard he couldn't talk. So he, he didn't want to cry into the phone. But <laughs> there's that. And it just was to such an extreme. Right. And honestly, the the best times I had with him were traveling or when we traveled with the Cardinals, but also when I was, I saw a completely different side of him again, since this is daddy issues when I was pregnant with my twins and my husband was working a lot. We were both immature. He was going out with work people after work and I'm sitting here going, um, hello, I'm pregnant with twins. Uh, I, I need your support here. I need this. I need that. And dad was around for the most he'd ever been around in my life. And this is right, you know, right before he ends up dying. But in 2000, where he would go with me to ultrasounds and to see really my, he went to see the boys because I had so many because I was having twins. You know, how that is now. Yes. That there are so many ultrasounds. And somebody had to go with me and mom would go, Jeff would go, but sometimes dad would go and he, the crying gene would turn on immediately and he'd be, how about that? I mean, looking at these two 
Yeah, baby he probably boy. never seen an ultrasound, by the way. No. And then he was so protective of me. I remember going down to spring training and him setting up a meeting with the late Daryl Kyle's uh, wife, the pitcher for the Cardinals. At the time, they had twins. He'd set up a meeting for me to meet with her to talk about twins. I was like, well, I mean, I don't know what to say to her about the twins. I'm, you know, but he was really like the complete opposite of what it was when we were growing up. He was so hands-off. And then at this stage of my life, he was so protective and hands-on. Yeah. So I, so I, I go back to, there is some truth in that, that I, I, just like Oliver does with his dad, where he's kind of gone the opposite and, declined work offers because he felt like it was going to take him away from his family and he just wants to be there 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 for his three kids that you know reluctance to give feedback and or tell kids how proud a parent is uh, of them i go the other way like i'm i'm you know i you know whatever they do and and it's you it's not it's yeah, it's totally genuine. It's not made up. I've never lied about that. But the accomplishments are things that they do. I get far greater satisfaction out of anything Natalie or Trudy or now Blake or Wyatt does that oh than my gosh. anything I've ever done. I, I don't care about that. The first thing Natalie ever did was a little play at a high school and she was four. And she was an adaptation of Peter Pan. And here is this little peanut of ours on the stage. And I don't know if she had like a line or sang a little song. I think she had like a little solo of about five words. And you were there and you literally, it was silence other than her doing her thing. You literally let out a yelp because you got so choked up. I know you don't remember anything. So I'm telling you, I was there. But it was so sweet because it was, it was so genuine. Like just, But, but dad had that, like dad joked that he would cry at the sight of a good... It was in there, but he just didn't show that a lot. I thought he showed it a lot, but he just kind of squeezed it down, but he never followed it with any conversation. He he would get teary, and he would get overly emotional at, like, which I do now at stupid shit like America's Got Talent or whatever because of the backstory. I'm like, oh, my God, this is my the God. most unbelievable triumph of all time. And, you know, I'm like that with, the girls and yeah, I I do I do remember that I it doesn't matter what they do I um Natalie speaking at my wedding with Michelle and I I had to turn my chair and face the other way it was so embarrassing because I was like snot was falling out of my nose and I couldn't stop I could barely hear her because I just was crying so much because she had the guts to get get up there in front of all those people and talk about me as a dad, you know, that was the most, I don't know, the most emotional I think I've ever been in my life was, was watching that. Yeah. Yeah. So I I don't know. I, I, but so when Oliver talks about that stuff, about kind of going the polar opposite of his dad, I I think about that a lot that, you know, just being more verbal with my children or Michelle, or anybody who's doing anything for me, I'm always like, "Hey, I just want to tell you that what a great job." And and I think, I think being the son of, or in your case, the daughter of somebody like 
our larger than life looming presence that is dad makes you forces you unless you're a complete asshole to try to kill everybody with kindness because they they're probably pre predisposed to thinking you're going to walk in thinking you're the king or the queen and you want to go no i don't feel that way at all which we don't want to prove yeah you want to prove the point yeah that you're not that yeah. way yeah so it's it's yeah. it it actually works out the net of it is good because you 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 don't unless you just take it all in and you're just insufferable which i'm sure happens but i i don't think you would last very long in this business i think you'd get flushed out yeah for sure i mean i think that it's you know i'm lucky to do what i do just being in radio and i you know what i do compared to what you do is not the same it's not i mean i'm I'm on AM radio in the middle of the day in the middle of America. You know, it's, but it's a daily thing and I enjoy it and tune into the Carney show. <laughs> on the big 550. On the big but, 550. But we've, we've, we've gone this whole time and I only want to go a couple more minutes. Uh, and we haven't really talked about mom. Mom was an actor on Broadway, took acting classes, uh, had this career and really did take everything that she had done to that point when she got pregnant with me and just kind of took that and put that to the side and became she Jack did. Buck's wife and Joe and then eventually Julie Buck's mom and was as involved as any parent, you know, almost enough for two because dad was not involved that way that she – so we were so lucky to have such a strong mom that could handle dad being gone as much as he was while raising two kids. Um, and and I think did, you know, it wasn't perfect, but did an unbelievable job, for, you know, fat camp notwithstanding. Right. I feel like we kind of raked her over the coals at the beginning with that. I mean, I feel like we give her a pass on that looking at it as parents, we kind of get where they were coming from. They were reaching for help. And that was the only help they could find. The only life preserver was in Great Barrington, Massachusetts. Is that where that was? <laughs> I don't know where where the heck it was, but it was somewhere in Massachusetts. Yeah. What'd you call it early? The Berkshires. That's what you called it. That's where there was in the okay, Berkshires. Okay, the Berkshires. We were in the Berkshires. It was, it was near dad's hometown of Holyoke, Massachusetts which we went yeah. through and he was a depression era kid and you know, it's a working town. Um, and so we got to see where dad was born and grew up and you know, I, we had a strong mom and we had, she was a very strong opinionated woman. And now at, in her approaching mid eighties, a lot of that is, still the case. I think I, and I talked to my therapist about this yesterday, Heather, about, you know, my, the way I kind of lash out to be completely honest, when I see her kind of failing or I, I, when she's changed and aged, it, it like makes me mad. Like I, I get mad with it and, and it's, it's irrational. Everything and then it, it goes along and goes along and goes along and then Boom, well, I just don't like to see her not as she was as a 40-year-old. That's hard for me. And and I, I'm sure that is for anybody who has a parent who's aging. But to see mom, you know, she is still funny as hell. And she remembers 
on one hand, she can't, you know, you live, you live it, but she won't tell, she can't tell you if she took her medicine this medicine morning, that morning, but, she but can you can tell start you a sentence that we used to laugh about. And I mean, she's fast as, as anybody in the room with, with delivering a line or being funny or, I mean, it is pretty remarkable that she is that quick, uh, at that age when, you know, some things work and some things don't, but the, she's, we know this, we've got a mom who, if anything went wrong, would do anything she possibly could, including, I think, killing somebody to, I, uh, to help us. Yeah. She would kill somebody for us. Literally. And she would, or she'd clean it up the best she could. She's not good at cleaning, but she, she would do the best. We would never put no, her we'd in be fought, We'd be caught because she. So in jail, but our kids too, they have an ally in our mom. She's not like a distant, there's grandma kind of thing. She's nanny. She's a part of their day-to-day life. Of course, she might go down the line and call all seven of them eight times a day until somebody picks up the phone. But, and then she'll get stuck on my number and it's like, hello. Oh, I didn't mean to call you. I meant to call (laughs) Mary Ellen. Then I hang up. I'm like, mom. I'm with the boys. Stop. Oh, I, I'm sorry. Two minutes later, ring. Hello. Oh, I did it again. It's like, okay, Brittany, uh, stop calling. How do you remember my number? But that's the remark. And it's she all remembers Michelle's mom's phone number. She remembers. And we're painting this picture. She's really good. She's not, she's not. She's great. And she's beautiful outside, inside all of those. things. Yeah. She's yeah. funny. She's you know, the life of the party. She's available. (laughs) She's available. Please, somebody swoop in. Anybody from the greatest generation on down, just... She'd be quite a companion. DM Margot Carmichael at Daddy Issues, and uh, we'll set you up with our mom. We're going to need a a brief, like a one-page financial statement from you, uh, whoever you are. A private jet would be nice. Like a headshot. Although she's not that picky. she No, but she's got a good head of hair. I mean, she's a beautiful woman, our mother. Yeah. She still is beautiful. Well, I just came back from my second hair transplant with Dr. Parsa Mohebi, who we've had on this podcast. She's like, ah, I mean, the things you have done, I just gave you, I gave you bad genes on the hair. I wish I could give you all my hair. I'm like, I yeah, I wish you could too. She but looks it's your, at me it's your dad's fault. It's your dad. She looks at me and says, oh, she's like, your hair looks like it's thinning. You know, your father's sister was totally bald. I'm like, okay, great. I'm like, (laughs) I've heard that so many. And uh, we just bought you some new Miss Piggy stationery. (laughs) Thank God I can write you notes. Yeah. After the murder, just to tie it all together. All right. Well, thanks for stepping in for Oliver Rutledge Hudson. You crushed it. Uh, I feel like people are either going to really appreciate us bearing our souls or never listen to this again, but that's fine either way. They're either loving it or they're throwing up one or the other. Yeah. I didn't get really to to meet Josh and Margot. Josh Josh is uh, under the weather. Oh. Um, And Margot is... All she is is uh, the third box up here, and all I see is her name. She's she's up. Uh, uh, she's coming. There she is. She's not on mine, but we we established that I don't know how to work a Zoom. So. 
Well, that's because on your phone it just shows the person who's talking. <laughs> there so it switch is. Back and forth. So, were you sleeping? Was that what happened? You were asleep? No, not no. I sit here and I take notes and I make notes about what socials I'm going to post and how I'm going to cut it. And yeah, no, this is this is a yeah. great episode. We can send you some old chub pictures. Oh, yeah. I've got those. <laughs> Yeah, no, this is really a this is a good episode. I mean, you talk about Julie a lot, so I think that it's nice for people to finally get yeah. to this is our own sibling you. revelry. Yeah. I know what we should do is yeah, start our own exactly. podcast and actually call it sibling rivalry, which is what every major host, like God love them, Steve Harvey, whatever, when we went on the family feud, everyone calls Oliver and Kate's podcast sibling rivalry. We should do sibling rivalry and then that we way should. we Hashtag yeah. sibling rivalry. Hashtag. Think about all the think about all the wrong mail we'll get. Think of all the merch that we could keychain. Uh-huh. Loved you in Almost Famous and that shirtless scene in the cleaning lady was amazing. Oh. He's- Hashtag sibling <laughs> he was rivalry. So nervous this morning. I never see Oliver nervous like that. He was nervous. Margo was, was nervous. on the call. She saw it. Guy way with so much yeah. more than women, Margo. I mean, he they can pull it off. He'll do great. Of course. I mean, Are you kidding? Funny. I can't we tell you in his butt. So on I mean, he's not shy. Seen I've seen more of Oliver's body than I've seen of most other people's in this yeah. world. <laughs> She's uh she holds Oliver's career in her hands, basically. <laughs> and his finances and everything else. Uh, all right. Goodbye, everybody. Thank Bye. you. Bye. Thanks, Julie. Bye. All right. Love you. Love you. Bye, guys. Listen to Daddy Issues on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Daddy Issues is a production of Cavalry Audio and iHeartMedia, produced by Margot Carmichael. Sound engineering and editing by Josh Windish. Executive produced by Joe Bach, Oliver Hudson, Dana Brunetti, and Keegan Rosenberger.